Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, welcome to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone. And I am so excited to have my friend and just one of my great teachers, Christina Donnell. She is a classically trained clinical psychologist, author, and spiritual teacher who studied Eastern traditions, as well as the shamanic energy practices of the Caro Indians of Peru for nearly three decades. She's the founding director of Winds of Change Association, a Minneapolis-based educational organization offering programs that cultivate humanity's evolving consciousness. Her multiple award-winning first book, Transcendent Dreaming, Stepping Into Our Human Potential, chronicles her spiritual awakening through a form of dreaming that expands consciousness. And her most recent book, which we're going to talk about today, Encounters with Living Language, Surrendering to the Power of Words, awakens readers to the intrinsic energy of language that can connect us to the oneness that underlies all of life. Christina, it's so good to be with you. It's been a while. Michael, thank you for having me on We Heart Radio. Yeah. We Heart, We Earth, We, 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 Earth we, <laughs> we, we I, it's heart to me, but Earth, of course, are they not one of the same? And it's so lovely to see your face after... I think the last time we were able to be with one another was before the pandemic. Yes. Probably eight or 10 years, I think. So I love your new book, as I showed you. It's got lots of marked pages in it. And it's a little book, but it is so powerful. And so this this whole idea of living language and, and surrendering to the power of words. So let's just talk a little bit, start out with what you call living language. I'm, I'm reminded of, I think it's Emily Dickinson said, a word is dead when it is said. So yes, yes. I say it just begins to live that day. And I thought of that when I first saw this title. <laughs> I love that line from Emily Dickinson. It is so true. And yes, what is living language? Well, we know it's existed for centuries because we have so many beautiful original texts that are transmitting living language. For me, the definition of living language is when you receive the spoken or written word and it moves into the somatic sensory embodied experience of the word where the body comes alive. And the most interesting thing is language then too comes alive. And that to me is what living language is. And we always know when we've stumbled upon it because we will get chills, the hair will rise on our neck when someone says something or when we see the written word. 
but that's what I call living. It's living. It's not inert. It's not the everyday usage, which is just to represent. It's alive. It has a thousand roots. And when the somatic sensory system can drink that in, new awareness arises. Yeah, I love the somatic sensory experiences because the challenge right away, and I I, I say this to our listeners with all respect, is that most of us are either partially or wholly disembodied. And (laughs) many of us can't even feel our emotions. We think our emotions. Yes. uh, We objectify what we read. And that makes automatically us separate from what we're reading. So how do you attune to that ability or uh, the ability to attune to words in a way that they become embodied and awakening something. Is there a practice that you recommend or besides meditation? I think it's a great practice for that. Yeah, Meditation is a very good practice for that. And why? Because in meditation, the narratives recede thought recedes, conceptualizing recedes, and to truly experience language and all it has to offer, which I think is in its own evolution, one has to move beyond the conceptual mind. And how do you move beyond the conceptual mind? You move into an embodied experience. And the written word, the spoken word, absolutely can be received in a way that interior trap doors open, the somatic sensory system avails itself and language shows what it has to offer. And and that is what the book is about. I mean, obviously there's, I talk about having 92 illuminations on language, which actually I think was a training of my own system to move in the, into the deeper somatic experience of the word. And why meditation is always useful is because every word, like anything else in the manifestation, comes out of the silence and it returns to the silence. Mm-hmm. And when the awareness inside the body can move to that place, expanded awareness naturally happens. I would even say the quantum nature of our being reveals itself. Mm, It's beautiful. I'm really curious about the evolution of language. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you look originally, you know, grunts and groans and fire or whatever was happening back then, and then language allowed us to objectify and to problem solve and to create incredible you know, science things. Yes. But at the same time, it created a distancing. And how do we find ourselves back? I'm just curious about the how it evolved. And now language seems to be in another place. It's yes. I mean, from reading your book, I got so excited, like, wow, that's if we could drop into what you just said, the stillness below the language and see what emerges on a somatic level or even beyond the somatic level, a non-self 
non-dual level, something it gets available there. Humanity is available. Yes. Yeah, your thought some thoughts about that, you know, where Yeah, the 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 evolution of language. Well, right? All things from the source of creation are in their own evolution, whether it's the human species or whether it's language itself. And remember the Bible in the beginning was the word. I would say in the beginning was silence. And then there was the word. Right? And wind and wind and wind is a language. Yeah. And the cosmos exploding is it a language and then eventually the rivers that are ferried through landscapes is a is a living language so it's been here from conception of how we know the creation and it's been evolving ever since and if you go back to homo erectus that didn't speak language no language in the way that we do the instinctual nature was such it was attuned to the underlying whole of the universe. That was part of survival. And I think with the emergence of language and now for how many centuries, how many centuries with it representing, you know, it subject object representing, we have this extraordinary development but somewhere along the line, we lost the somatic sensory connection to the archetypal root of the word. And I think, for whatever reason, the source of creation is bringing that forth now in terms of the evolution of language. And the reason why I say this is because I am thinking of our neurodivergent population. I'm thinking of autism spectrum. And after writing this book, I've heard from a number of young adults, 14 to 24, that are non-speakers. They don't speak, but because of letterboarding, which is a evolution of its own for them to be able to speak, they suddenly are able to speak through writing and the writing is extraordinary. It's demonstrating to us that all of these years that they are telepathic, that they know can know multiple languages they've never been introduced to, that they speak in terms of, of somatic sensory experience of soaring and falling and I think that's part of the evolution. Mm. I think they are just the mutation on the planet that maybe is not adaptive now, but where we might be heading. Yeah. Because they are connected. They, they have not individuated. They don't have a sense of an eye myself, but they are completely attuned to the universe. Yeah. So much comes up in what you just said. So uh, first of all, looking back, my, as I remember, that before language was art, cuneiform, cave paintings and things like that. And I can just imagine seeing a bear 
and not having language to go bare, but seeing this and feeling, I don't know if they felt fear or not, but this immense feeling and then go putting it into art. Yes, visual art. Visual art. And that that was the precursor to the naming of things. So, so that was one thing that just came up. And then I'm I'm thinking of, you know, knowing your 30 years history, working with the Caro, living with the Caro, not just working with them, but part of them. Yes. And that their language has continued to evolve as sensory, but also earth-based and without a sense of a separate eye in that. And so I'd love for you to talk about your experience there in that kind of continuum that that we're drawing. Yes, yes. And clearly it has been part of the journey in 30 years. And the the Carol are, are very unique on the planet. And of course, living between 18,000 and 22,000 feet has allowed them to be removed from cultural conditioning. And as a result of that, they do not even identify with what I call a me cosmology. And a me cosmology just simply means we make meaning in the world around a sense of an I. They, they don't. They make meaning of the world from a place of what I call a we cosmology. The earth, cosmos, individual is the way in which they make meaning. And so the cosmos and the earth and the universe is all part of how they're moving without the concept of an I. And it makes them very, it makes them, I think, prototypes and extraordinary, even though they are dying out, they are they're here from the source of creation, right? Like we all are for a reason. And between the fact that they do not identify with an eye, they also don't live in linear time, which I think is interesting because I think when we move to a we cosmology, when the somatic sensory system is connected to the energy underlying the whole of the universe, we, ap- we absolutely move into a quantum space where the linear time dissolves, it recedes, and the past and the future are right there to be experienced in the present moment. And they live there. They've lived there for years. And of course, 18 and 22,000 feet, there is no electricity, there are no trees, there is nothing to distract you from being absolutely just being in a place of being. And so these are our people, there's 600 left on the planet that narrative through the mind never developed and was forefront. Their somatic sensory system is the way they they navigate the mountains, the landscapes through a feeling experience. Yeah, I think one of the aspects that you just brought up too that's really important is this sense of language being what I would call time bound because of our linear 
perspective of language that there's something called a past, a present, and a future, like in a line. Yes. When, uh, for the most part, most of us are have taken our past and filed it in the future, and we're living into that. <laughs> there you go. But to look a little more at that, when I when I think of the Greek perspective on the difference between times with, um, you know, they have three different words. I'm sure you know the three different words for time. What is it? Um, <laughs> got a blank on it. Keros, uh, Keros. Keros, Logos, and Minos. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. So let's talk about that a second, because that's really fascinating, because we only have the one, the Logos, but the uh, Kairos is an interesting perspective on time. It's kind of like when the time is ripe or the fruit is right, ready for picking or all time at once, or like um, uh, Otto Scharmert talks about, uh, I love Otto's work. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work at MIT, but no, no. Uh, Mary, you uh, idea that the future is always and only in the present. Yes. Uh, it's emergent and it is, the deeper the presence, the more potentiality of the future that's arising in the moment, not somewhere out here, but actually as we speak in the moment. So I'm wondering your thoughts. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that is beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. You know, one of the, one of the things you said about past, present, and future, and that we're the, taking the past and living it into the future, the Carol at one time, this is about a decade ago, someone interviewed and asked them, do you believe evil exists in the heart of, of human beings, of man? And they said, no, evil does not exist in the heart. Evil is a result of being not being in right relationship to time. Because if you are living past, present, and future, the past is always tainting the moment of the present and therefore the future. So it's an interesting perspective from a people who, who seriously, if you, anything happens in the everyday or even in ceremony, they don't talk about it. It's, it's, they're in the next moment. So it does not exist for them. And it opens up a whole nother way of being in relationship. I mean, you know, from the shift network and, and global shamanic, you know, the Carol are masters of the energy realm. They in ceremony call in lightning and thunder and they don't do it to will it. They do it because they are in a beloved relationship with it in which that those energies live inside of them. They're in dominion with it. Their somatic sensory experience is living with them. And they describe themselves as organs of the earth. We are organs of the earth. We are animated earth. We are an extension of the earth. We see the earth in our children's faces. We see the wind in the mountains in our children's faces. This is non-dual awareness this is being connected to the larger whole and you know the point of my book is which was revelatory for me 
you know, I can be a slow learner. It took 92 illuminations um, for me to like really get it. But even language can bring us to this place, which is extraordinary because there's no spiritual dogma. I want to go back. You just said so many things. Sometimes you say so much in a sentence that I have to go, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. The first thing was this idea of will, I think is really interesting because mm-hmm. a lot of people would look at your book and say, oh, I need to will myself into the place of having illumination. Or yeah. the mystics often spoke of the will to give and the will to receive and how that changes our parad- our global uh, worldview, our paradigm for the world we live in. I think with individuation having turned into individualism, this will to receive also much from trauma because trauma creates lack, right? So yes, yes. Whole grasping, needing, wanting, that you know this next thing is going to make me happy. It, it's such a difficult place to. You can't override that and go into silence. You can't go into the the mystery or the uh, like. But in the will to give, there's this connecting. You know, you mentioned you know we Earth Radio is exactly <laughs> what you described. I was trying to get to when I changed the name of this. What, 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah. We cosmology. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so your thoughts about will and as it relates to this idea of illuminations, because we haven't really talked about the illuminations yet. What is an illumination? And I I can see people wanting to will something like that. So uh, your thoughts about that? Yes. Yes. And I might, also add on to something you just said earlier with the will, individualism, trauma, the importance in our culture of individuating. But I'd, I would also say the power lines we live under is capitalism. And capitalism, too, is always about if I just had this, then I would be have well-being or I would be happy. And so that continues an individualism and a willing to desire being someplace else. And what I would say about will is that in order to have not a mind experience, but a body somatic sensory experience of being connected to the whole, both the conceptual mind and the will are required to receive. They're required to receive. As soon as they come forth, that experience stops. And that fascinates me. It's like, if you wanna have this experience of the, underlying whole and be in the felt sense of it, you cannot conceptualize, nor can your will come forward. And as soon as it does, it's over. 
Now, when you say that, I'm listening to the listening of our listeners. Uh-huh, yes. I would say that, oh, okay, it's required to recede. <laughs> so now I've jumped into doing this. I need to do yes, something. Yes, 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 yes. Doing this versus being, versus being. Yes. And it reminds me a lot of. I don't know if you know, but I've been doing a lot of trauma circles and looking at trauma as a spiritual path. Beautiful. And and this whole idea that comes up that, you know, I had trauma, so I'm broken. I have a pathology. I have a, a brokenness, a disease. Something's wrong, as opposed to I have this incredible nervous system that's been evolving for hundreds of thousands of years, which is an intelligence and then I, I tap into that and I say, yeah, and I want to be here. I don't want to be here. I want to be he- over here. And so you can't, you can't get there from here <laughs> over there. You know? Right, 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 right. So right. This, this whole area of wanting to be somewhere else that you just you brought up is exactly the things in the way. So when I look at that, I say, well, in the silence, in the depth, whatever is arising, I need to say, yes, yes, this, this is here now and allow that because otherwise, particularly from a traumatic perspective, I, I had an overwhelming experience, which my nervous system said, this is too much. So I push it down. I dissociate a fragment. I have this physical tension in my body from that. And so in a sense, I rejected that part of myself. I abandoned that part of myself. And I'm going to try to get rid of that. I'm basically abandoning my abandoned self the moment I try to get rid of and get to another place. Exactly. Exactly. And what we both know because of the work you've been doing and for 35 years I've been a psychologist holding the space for trauma and the places people want to avoid because it was so traumatic the somatic sensory system shut down and doesn't want to be there and wants to be somewhere else but the fact of the matter is The fact of the matter is, if you can drop down into that space, into the terror, somatic sensory terror, into the humiliation that often is a part of deep trauma, that trauma that is locked in the body begins to flow, to move. Because your awareness, your finger is on the, the pulse of it. And if you don't try to move away from it, but just allow it to be, it's like any other feeling state, it moves. And when it moves, it also speaks. And when it speaks, there is wisdom to be gained. Mm. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And yet, it is the way to freedom. It is the way to, I've experienced all of this 
in this lifetime, as everyone has experienced a multitude of trauma, but in the processing of it, there's a greater wisdom gained. And when we cherish is too strong of a word, but we hold and surrender into those the deepest places that are very can be very dark no it feels as though there's no light but guess what darkness and lightness work together and when those waters begin to stir the light begins to arrive and that's a part of healing for trauma yeah yeah that's beautiful really really great and you know, we talk about trauma and a lot of people would resist trauma. What trauma? I don't have trauma. Yes, yes. Recognizing that we swim in a sea of individual, familial, collective, ancestral, historical, all the different trauma that we live in that lives in us. Yes. But just to look at it from a place, uh, I'm not going to get personal with you a little bit because you wrote about it in the book. So I feel that's okay. But yes, yes. It's the area of loss. Yes. As an awakening opportunity, as difficult as as it is, you lost your partner, Santi. You lost your uh, godson. Godson Mm -hmm. also. And both violent or not natural deaths. uh, Yes. And that I, I just, you know, I can imagine it a little bit because of my loss, but the awakening possibility of allowing ourselves to grieve, not just our personal life. I mean, climate change is a huge opportunity for deep grieving. I think that's that when we're pointing to this place that you articulate so beautifully in your book of dropping underneath and into this eternal spaciousness and the wisdom that's contained in there the pure mm-hmm. pureness of that wisdom mm-hmm. and that it moves it it emerges and moves if we permit dropping in and surrendering into it otherwise it gets locked in exactly exactly mm-hmm. but also it's a catalyst it put is a potential catalyst for going beyond individuation I, uh, uh individual oh, beautiful yes 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 Right, not individuation, but the individualism. Yes. Your experience of that, though, when you when you share about uh, Santi and I got a blank on his name, your godson. Miguel, Miguel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, my name. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot my name there. <laughs> you had that way about you, you know. <laughs> so, you know, but from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, you talked more about going back and finding, you know, not finding, but seeing that yes. him and his dog in the place at 20,000 feet and the snow and the cold and having frozen there, that must have been just overwhelming. And yet you you continue to deepen your spiritual path and your uh, spiritual teaching and I'm wondering what part that played and how that might have helped you let go of some, you know, last vestiges of control 
And uh, <laughs> yes, you, yes. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I do. You know, and I and Michael, you know this too from your own deep losses. The the deep losses shatter your heart. They shatter your heart. Your heart space is navigating in the world in the way it is knows and is conditioned, and it's shattering. You know, mothers who lose children will say a piece of their heart actually died and they live on with that piece of their heart. Really, they see as has died. It's life changing, as is a lot of traumas, life changing. And for myself, And those two losses came also on the heels of yellow fever with a good three months of recovery, just cognitively and, you know, fainting spells. And I mean, all of that was in a, in a 18 month period. And it having meditated for 30 years, I thought I knew emptiness, but emptiness was delivered from the universe in in one big stroke, like a calligraphy stroke, of which, because of 30 years of meditating, I knew just to trust it. But it it was life-changing. In every way I was visible and doing in the culture, I no longer understood why I should be doing. Because I was reduced to the soil of my being. And I don't wish it upon anyone. And yet I wish all of us could be reduced to the soil of our being in a lifetime. I wish it didn't take trauma to have that experience because it's a restart in some ways. And it's a restart where the will has surrendered, the narratives have surrendered, the cultural conditioning has been surrendered and it brings new growth. And the separation is surrendered. Yes, yes. Separate self, yeah. And, you know, just taking that again, we do have a lot to grieve and we need to grieve. And it's one thing to grieve for the loss of a partner or a child, that's huge, or even a grandparent or a family member. But we have on this planet about a hundred species a day becoming extinct. Yes. You grieve the loss of a species, a loss of an habitat. Yes. I I look at it from a wider lens. Although I feel the suffering, I feel it every day in my garden, of which I'm an urban gardener. I'm an 
avid urban gardener, and we are three years in the drought here. It's it's 92 degrees today, and we have not had rain. So when we move from the Ami cosmology and I that is witnessing that suffering, and again, we drop down, it is not from the mind, it's a somatic sensory experience where you are literally and and know it to be true that you are animated earth expressing through you. The real question to me becomes, where do we find well-being during these great times of change? Because there's evidence the tectonic plates of the earth are shifting in ways they've never shifted. There's evidence right now that the deepest, deepest, deepest currents of the ocean, all right, not touched so much by man, we are, we are absolutely a part of these changes, but we're a small part of the changes. The source of creation has us under a great change. Is it the... Is it a change like the Ice Age? I don't know. But when you have deep, deep, 12,000 feet underground river currents that are now shifting and changing, or uh, ocean currents, shifting, it tells you the earth is undergoing its own transformation. If we don't have a narrative about it, we just be in the felt sense of it. And guess what? If we are animated earth and we can touch into the awareness of that, well, hello, those changes at that level, since our cellular nature, everything inside of our body is of the earth. It's the same frequency of the earth. We simply are an animation of the earth. Those changes from the source of creation right now are a wind blowing through every single one of us. And the question becomes, can you recognize an anchor from there and have well-being? Or do you are you unaware and it's still going to flow through you, but if you're in a personal narrative around it, it's going to it's going to really create tumult around the trauma within yourself. Yeah, I often say, particularly in my circles that I do, is life happening to you or yes. is it moving through you? It's yes, it's a throw. It's a thrill. It's the source of creation in every day painting through its creation. And we are a part of it. And, and can we be connected to it? Yeah, beautiful. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to open your book here. Okay. 
All and right. I'm gonna read whatever. I'm just going to read. I'm taking a chance here. I've All never right. read this before. All, right. this All before. right. But I have so many things in this book. So I opened, I, where did I open? I opened it up to privileged moments. What a perfect thing to talk about. And you say, during privileged moments, sensations are heightened. The motion of spoken words convey a sense of boundlessness the pulse of time dissolves into waves of eternity and the notion of being a separate self participating in the external world disappears, culminating in awareness beyond everyday perception. <laughs> I don't know if you can add anything to that, but if you do, <laughs> your sense of privileged moments. Mm-hmm. I think these are privileged moments right now, um, meaning for whatever reason, I had these 92 illuminations of, about language. And of course, I've been a lucid dreamer since I was born, but these are different. They're awake and and they are governed by greater aim. They are not coming from within me. They're coming from source. And I have a quote here, since we're reading, I have a quote, which is not in my book, by the way. It's not a quote, it's just something I wrote, which is, it feels important to this question. There is a time for certain ideas to arrive and they find a way to express themselves through us. There's a time for certain ideas to arrive and they find a way to express themselves through us. I feel living language, encounters with living language was the source of creation, allowing these ideas to emerge, which are a part of our evolution. And it's not just me, it's, everywhere like i said we have the neurodivergent who are on the planet and they're doing their piece in it we have you know everyone talking about non-dual awareness we're talking about the connection to the greater whole so i think this is part of the evolution that it's part of the source of creation right now and for those of us who are artists writers it's expressing through, you know, it's unseen, but it's trying to make its way into the scene, right? And the way it often does that is through art. Yeah, beautiful. I'm reminded of, uh, you know, I had the privilege of being with uh, Bucky Fuller quite a few times, and he used to always talk about an idea whose time has come. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. That's kind of a prophetic, you know, this is an idea whose time has come. And what we're talking about now, I believe, is an idea whose time has come. Yes, yes. Let's do another reading. Yeah, all right, all right. Okay, let's see what this says. And I literally just opened the book to one of the... I movies. love it, I love it. <laughs> I love playing with you. <laughs> Sipping the tea, I reflect on how sensory cues have us immediately conceptualizing rather than experiencing. Words, however, have infinite depth and like colors, 
awaken somatic sensory receptors all the while honoring the margins of the inarticulate. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. The <laughs> margins of the inarticulate. Where do you come up with this? <laughs> I know it comes through you, but wow. <laughs> Thoughts about anything to add to that? I mean, it's so beautiful. And I think that I I don't think there was anything in the tea. I think it was cocoa tea. So <laughs> it, it was helping my nausea from altitude. So <laughs> read the first part of it again. Yeah. I reflect on how sensory cues mm -hmm. have us immediately conceptualizing yes. rather than experiencing. Words, however, have infinite depth and like colors awaken somatic sensory receptors all the while honoring the margins of the inarticulate. Yes, yes, yes. Cultural conditioning and centuries of conditioning of using language to represent. This is a book. This is a computer. That is Michael. Right. But if I don't have a, a, a somatic sensory experience that moves beyond that. And my mind can't recede beyond that conceptualization, then. I'm left with duality, I'm left with the consciousness of separation. And it's cultural conditioning for centuries that we get a somatic sensory cue and we immediately want to make meaning of it and conceptualize it and put it in a box and it, it no longer can speak or move and flow through us. And it, it often comes from a greater source. Yeah. Another aspect of that that just comes up for me to kind of play with is habit. Yes. The whole, you know, how we conceptualize and we turn it into a habit. And habits are very important. We need habits structurally to walk and to, to do anything. And do linear time. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when, say, my partner becomes a habit or my mother or my boss or anyone becomes a habit, like... It, a habit always comes from the past. So I'm freeze framing a part of someone which takes away the potentiality for evolution. That was beautiful, Michael. Yeah. I absolutely agree. It, it's, it, it's beautiful. And couple that with cultural conditioning of conceptualizing. It's easy to, it doesn't even have to be a habit. You can have three encounters with someone and have them in a box already and not receive anything greater, which is from the source of creation moving through them. Yeah. And so when and how does someone become deeply curious, drop the narrative in the conceptualization and become deeply curious about what else is underneath. And in trauma work and as a therapist, that's exactly the space you hold hour after hour after hour. 
that where there's a deep curiosity of how, how and what is moving through someone. And just by your awareness, being present in that place changes the exchange. It changes the energy in the room. It changes the roots of the words where all the archetypal forces that are inciting are underneath of which I might say the clients have revelatory and epiphany moments in because they're not held in the box of their own narrative or anyone else's narrative. And what a lovely place for human beings to begin to move to, not for someone else, but for well-being, for, for the joy of witnessing the creation. That's beautiful. And it becomes spacious and emergent. It does. It does. It's in movement. It's in movement because it can move. Our conceptualizing, this is a new thought in my interview with you. You know, maybe we went from Homo erectus to Homo sapien. We got our prefrontal cortex and we have been in the safety and security mode of maturing that. But it's matured. We're all able to use our precognitive functioning. What if that loosens a little bit and you let in the somatic and the sensory and, they're, and now we get this orchestra that creation has created in the body. It allows, it allows many things. It allows two things though that I can think of. It allows that which is static and inert to come alive and move, which is what life is about. And it allows, when one has that experience, an equanimity and a well-being because you're anchored in a greater awareness. Mm. Mm -hmm. it's like we become movement meeting movement at at a common pace and michael with climate change with the other perils going on you know war war has been here forever but we need to stay in movement. We, we can't stay in these old frameworks. They are not going to take us into the transformation. And they will only breed more separation and fear. We need to be in the flow of the movement that is so much bigger than us and is sourced from creation and recognize it's moving through us. And, and this is kind of why I think, you know, for me, my thinking has evolved to seeing trauma, particularly since we're all swimming in it, as a spiritual path. It seems, you know, that reframing that intelligence and looking at it from that, that 
moves us into doing the deeper Jungian kind of shadow work <laughs> that's needed to get to this place of being movement. Yes. In movement. Yes. And for anyone willing to not skate on the surface of consciousness and to drop down into the trauma awakens new horizons. It just, it does. It just does. It's, it, it's not easy. It's painful. It takes fortitude. And there are new horizons that arise that are generative. And I might even say a part of evolution. And I would include in their courage. I like courage too. I like courage too. And strength. Take strength and support. Let's do a couple more. See if I can find it. I just, <laughs> again, I just opened the book. It appears that my actions will no longer be propelled by the same consciousness as before because my extraordinary experiences with living language have somehow led me to a destiny of incarnating the internal in temporal time. <laughs> Another beautiful sentence. All right, you have to read me the first part again so I can... It appears that my actions will no longer be propelled by the same consciousness yes. or because my extraordinary experiences with living language have somehow led me to a destiny of incarnating the eternal in temporal time. Yes. My experiences with living language, illuminations, when illuminations come, Mm, there's a heightened lucidity, there's a qualitative and a structural shift in awareness. And the biggest shift in the awareness is you can't conceptualize. The conceptualizing mind somehow is, recedes in that heightened lucidity. And when that recedes, there are interior trap doors in the somatic sensory system that avail themselves and open, which allow for an experience of the oneness underneath all of life. I can't explain it better than that. It's a it's an interesting movement because I had 92 illuminations and all of them were were consistent with that movement. I can't help but think this is the source of creation just moving us along into what is next, the next possibility to arise, a new threshold for tomorrow. Because it was so absolutely consistent. And what's re remarkable is it was language that would bring this structural change to the awareness. And, you know, I say in the book, Rilke has been a solace for me and because he's talked about something very, very similar in, in that 
And because he was so deeply moved by language moving beyond any place he knew, it started to change his awareness and how he, he was in relationship to the world. So, and, and that was what, it, a century ago. So this movement has been on the planet for a while, but it's here. It's a, it's a movement. And when it happens, it seriously, interior trap doors open and avail themselves inside a sensory experience, not the mind. The mind is no longer forward. They give you direct knowing, prophetic awareness, telepathy, uh, a feeling of being breathed by everything around you, and it's breathing you. It's a it's it's non-dual awareness. And it's here. It's here. That's yeah. I love the idea of uh inner trap doors. The the concept I, that's a beautiful oh idea. yeah, it is. It's in the interior trap door. You're like, whoa, Nothing I can't new. even get to conceptualizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Let's see. I just opened the book again. We got time for, for one or two more. Okay, let's do it. Okay. All right. Where does this start? Well, let's do one more and I'll read the whole paragraph because it's just too good. <laughs> <laughs> if I had my way, I'd read the whole book on this. <laughs> I feel graced by this discovery of an underlying continuum because it creates a semblance of order in my mind, but the satisfaction quickly fades. I have a gnawing awareness that the change underway, like a never weary wind is affecting not only my identity, but my perception of the meaning of everything around me. Part of me would gladly retain my old perceptual filter, which had me deriving the meaning of something by separating it from other things, but the glue of duality is dissolving and something else is replacing it an unsettling yet nourishing perception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. I don't know that it needs explanation, but if you want to say anything about that, I think it's whole and complete as you said it. Yeah, it's, it's whole and complete. It is, again, I come back to, it's part of, what do we call it? A transformation, a transfiguration, a metamorphosis that is going on on the planet. And these illuminations are a part of that movement. My writing the book was, is a part of that movement, but that movement is coming from, from all places and spaces right now. That's the source of creation. And Michael, we both know quantum physics has been here. What? More than, a, I don't know how many years. More, around 100 years. Yeah. 100. I was going to say about 100 years. But it hasn't yet made a dent in our consciousness and how we move. And 
there's something about the encounters of the living language that open the trap doors to the quantum body, you know, the omnipresent body uh, that, you know, right down to the cellular level, like a hundred trillion atoms in one cell. And then you have the electron orbit, which can orbit at any frequency and can be in multiple places at once. And I just think about the somatic sensory system. And if you take in an exchange, it, it could be spoken word, it could be written word, it could, it could be a beloved, it could be, but if you are in your awareness and embodied and taking in at that level, yeah, it's a new world. Yeah. It's an absolute new world and it is beyond duality. And I think this this uh, quantum argument that's going on in the physics world has very much to do with a sense of identity or identification of separate self, because the basic argument has been for a long time that, yes, that's true on the micro level, but not on the macro. So no sense of as above, so below, or as below, so above. That doesn't enter into the conversation. So there's an identity in there of people who are both in tune with this at one level, but on the other resisting yes. to become more spacious. Yes. Christine, it's so good to be with you. <laughs> I know. I, I, did, I just want to hug you. Conversation and that I lived closer to you that we could do this over tea. But I yes, so, yes. So happy for our listeners. And I just want to really ask our listeners, please, if anything interested you in this talk, get Encounters with the Living Language, Surrendering to the Power of Words. It is a transmission and a trans transition and a transfiguration all in one. So uh, just so grateful for your time. Anything you want to say about anything that you're up to that people could participate in before we close? Well, yes, your your podcast will come online a, in a week and we'll send it out to all of our communities and we have a few more. <laughs> Oh, great. All right. Well, thank you so much for just sharing this deep wisdom that's coming through you. And uh, I really feel it coming through you in my own body. So it's a, a beautiful experience to be with you and and uh, to, to inquire with you. Oh, I, I know. And I feel like I'm with my brother. So it's it's so comfortable and beautiful. Well, I hope to see you sooner than 10 years. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, be well, dear Christina. All right. My love to you, Michael.